everyone, welcome to another episode. I'm your host, Russ Perry. And today we have someone who I've known quite a long time, actually was part of his programs and groups and have many friends and sent referrals to what he's doing. But that is Mr. Dan Martell. Dan, I don't even know what your title is. Like, is it, are you like, are, are you a coach? Are you a guide? Are you an author? Are you a CEO? You're, you're an yeah. investor. You kind of got every title under, under one umbrella. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love telling people I'm an author of a best-selling book. By there you go. <laughs> That's a neat one that people like immediately lean into. But I mean, you know, as you know, my background is heavy in software. So I've, I've built and exited three software companies. I currently have a hundred million dollar hold co where we buy cash flow SaaS companies. We've bought, uh, we got one done so far and we'll probably get about three done before the end of the year. So, you know, buying revenue there. And then, um, I just love coaching. So I run yeah. the largest software CEO coaching group called SaaS Academy. I mean, I don't even run it. That's kind of a funny word. My team runs it now. Johnny and Matt are my business partners there. And they, they bring me in for, they call me the talent. So every once in a while I get to jump <laughs> on a stage or get on a call. But um, yeah, I'm just all about just helping people do more. Right. And, um, and technology is my jam. That's your thing. You actually have some, you're an author who's actually done some things. So you're not just sitting in the background researching and interviewing. You're speaking from experience. Obviously you get exposed to a lot of people, but um, so, uh, you know, on the show, we talk a lot about a lot of different directions with this convergence of technology, creativity, really how people are doing more with less, which I feel like is kind of ties into your book, and we'll get to that in a bit, but you occupy a really unique seat. And I really want to talk about, obviously, the coaching business because you run the largest SaaS coaching program uh, probably in the world, I guess. That's a fair statement. Yeah, yeah 100% uh, in the world. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know like what Germany's up to, but you're probably bigger than anything there. Um, but I think you get a really unique front row seat to a lot of what people are building because these are often early stage, you know, getting the first round of funding or maybe they're working on it. And you see the trends, right? You've been doing this for a while. And so I like to just take a step back and be like, how's the landscape changing of, of companies that are coming into your fold, into your awareness? Um, are you seeing companies being focused more in certain areas? They're structured differently. They're bigger. They're smaller. Like, what are some of the things that you're starting to notice as you're, you know, just getting to talk to so many startups? Yeah, I think I think the big thing is is just the the distributed nature. Obviously, when COVID happened, it pushed people there. But a lot of us, like I've been building distributed companies for 20 years. You know, I, mm -hmm. I grew up in open source software land. Um, what's changed though is the tooling, right? There's mm -hmm. now you know, obviously most people live on Zoom, but even outside of that, like the HR software, the employee engagement software, the, the you know, the learning and development stuff for like team, um, you know, even social type apps and rewards. So, so that's been interesting. Um, I think there's going to be a day where there's a billion dollar company with a hundred employees. Um, mm -hmm. And the reason why is because all of the core services inside of a company from finance to HR, to operations, to business intelligence, all these things, they've essentially got relegated into APIs. I mean, look at what you guys built at Design Pickle. Essentially, mm -hmm. you're saying, hey, you don't need a whole design staff. You can just consume us as a service. Right. And that's just where the world's going. So everything that used to be core functions, people in-house had to get it done is now an API call that's built into a workflow that's automated through some tool. So that's a big idea. Um, the other area is just, 
you know, the integration of AI and everything that's happening. So right. it doesn't matter if it's like generative voice applications that are doing calls for sales uh, tools to, you know, generative video solutions that are now being integrated into learning management systems to what I call generative wisdom, like wisdomai.com. That's a platform that essentially allows any organization to build their own internal GPT AI system. Um, I think, you know, like that's the fascinating part to me is I think we're at the early days of seeing how the new waves of innovation gets disrupted. And then people still sleep on, you know, 3D printing and a bunch of these other kind of like core innovations that are happening around the world. And then when you pair that with SaaS, like, again, there's going to be a SaaS software application that manages all the drone companies out there or right. the 3D printing companies or, or whatever. And then AI is going to integrate with those companies. So yeah, I get to see the forefront of it all. It's fascinating to watch. And the truth is, is like, it's just seems like people can get from zero to a hundred million so much faster today than they ever could in the past. Cause all of it is an API call. Now, are there any misconceptions or, or kind of things that you think is being overstated or not understood with this shift in technology, like bets that are maybe being too big or misinformed? Because I think it can get caught in a hype cycle, right? And yeah. you can get really excited. This isn't going to change everything. And we've, we've seen that a couple of times, even in recent years with crypto, which is still extraordinary technology, obviously not the cool kid on the block right now, but you have blockchain, you have metaverse. So what are, what are some of the things you, that you feel like are either being overstated or misunderstood about what's happening right now? Yeah, I think, I mean, the reality of valuation-wise, we went through a heyday, right? As a, as a you know, I help people exit. We've had like 36 exits in a, amongst our clients in the last 12 months. I buy software companies. I, I've seen the valuations go from like literally irrational, right? 10 times top line, 15 times top line ARR multiples. Um, where, where like the fundamental, like I'm a fundamental guy, right? So I'm a mm -hmm. first principle. I look at these, these, these companies as, as like, you know, cash producing assets over mm -hmm. time. And I don't care if a company's at 50 million, hundred million in annual recurring revenue. If the net dollar retention isn't there, then there's no expansion revenue. Then mul like multiplying top line revenue by 10, 15 X, I mean, you're seeing this now with Instacart, like literally the, the last two rounds of investors lost money on the IPO, right? right? Like the valuation was just, we're seeing this with Stripe right now. Right. So I think there's been definitely a uh, overzealous um, valuation creep that's now getting adjusted and, and reset, which I love as a buyer. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's been sobering for everybody we're buying from, but I'm a bit more like realistic now. So that's fun. Um, I would say things that I think are not overhyped is, is the whole like integrated reality or augmented reality mm -hmm. world. I mean, if you've tried on the new meta Ray-Bans, it's pretty impressive. The new PSV VR two. Um, so some of that, that technology, like it's a, it's a very natural, um, conclusion that we're going to go through the world with a augmented feedback system that's available right in near real time through, you know, facial recognition scanning. So, I mean, a little like black mirror type scenario, but it's, it's, there's no world where that doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, I think crypto is still overhyped. I mean, the price point of, of, of a lot of these things, I mean, dude, like I've been, 
So the the IPOs, the 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 coin stuff, the white paper before that. I mean, dudes, the amount of like just hypey people. It's almost like you got to look at what the internet gurus are selling to know what's the next bubble. Okay? <laughs> exactly. That's my rule. It's like if people are selling drop shipping, making money, like just know that that thing's going to crash on its face. Right. You know, but it's it's cool to watch, and and I'm I'm not opposed to it. I think you know there's opportunities all around us, but I think AI. The other thing about AI is. I think people think it's going to be a moment in time in the next, you know, two years where the whole thing becomes a singularity. And I just don't think we're near that. I think when you right. look at like, yes, GPT 3.5 was such a massive improvement over previous versions of the large language models. But I think to go from that to a fully conscious um, system is going to be a lot harder than people think. Now, will that mean that Full self-driving car is not going to happen in the next two years. No, I think that'll happen. Can robotics implement like the, you know, the the new Tesla robot? Will that come in and take care of 50, 60% of manual labor, you know, in, in certain types of industries? Yeah, that's like, that's sooner than I think people uh, might give it credit. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not too worried. I think there's still a lot of heavy lifting to be done on right. the AI side. To now, just it. for the record, if AI does become sentient and you're listening then to this, none of this matters anyway. But no, we support you. We love you. Yeah, we love yeah. you. We're here to support you, AI. Oh, yeah, yeah. AI. if you're watching. If you're yeah. listening. And again. Well, I, I go back to value. The- I want to go back to valuations because I think, I think you know, we've seen that cycle and uh, I think you and I are old enough to have seen it a few times. And I think, you know, the, the last cycle obviously was growth. Like you got to grow. You obviously have to have this retention. And these are the two factors that get you these monster valuations. And based on what you're saying and kind of like, I'm curious is like, I think with the efficiencies of technology, right? Like AI, you can have a sales team that could be a bot, like theoretically, like one. No, that's happening now. Like there's full SDR teams that are automated through generative voice systems. Yeah. So I wonder if you'll start seeing insane multiples again, but it's going to be on bottom line. It's going to be on EBITDA because it's, it that's becomes the name of the game now. It doesn't matter your growth rate if all of these technologies can now get you extraordinary margins in systems and you know business models that were no longer possible. Or like imagine a huge sales driven organization and the cost of that, which now can be scaled and reduced to nothing. Then I think it's going to be an interesting strategy over the next ten years of how valuations are now refactored, not necessarily on growth but on, on the profitability, which hasn't been as popular, I think. Yeah. As it has I think, been. and I think that's what's, what's happening, right? When we look at like the Ubers of the world that, you know, they might've had top line revenue growth, but you know, they just <laughs> haven't been able to make the unit economics work. I mean, right. I think just the investors have been burned enough times that that's no longer to happen. Um, and I think margins are, it's fun to like, see, I mean, back in the day when I moved to the Valley in 2008, like the word sales team was a bad word. You know, mm-hmm. and now it's like it's a hundred percent part of the go to market, right? Or like right now, I think you know, for a while, profit was a weird word, and and or even margins, right? So I think like the margins is going to matter. The you know the ability to um, generate positive cash flow and have you know ideally positive cash conversion cycles, like these are all things that are are interesting because it's still early days and there's going to be enough companies that go public. And then I think, yeah, the public markets are just going to value stuff. But the truth is in the past, the reason why they didn't care is because it didn't matter, right? Like Mm -hmm. the multiples were on earnings and it was not necessarily on the, what I call durable revenue or the Mm -hmm. quality of the revenue. So um, that's definitely going to shift. And I think it's better because 
you know, we get what we focus on. And if we want to build companies that are going to create, you know, long-term value and disruption, like innovation, essentially make the world a better place, they have to be sustaining. Right. Do you think that there's a wave now? I'm not necessarily an investor. I think I've kicked a few dollars here and there, but my main thing's running Design Pickle right now. Maybe one day I'll, I'll be there. Do you think there's a, a wave of investors that are just about to get obliterated as they realize they they yes. they got hyped out of and there's no way they can overcome no, they that can't, bubble? It's called trading paper. They can't trade the paper anymore. So yeah. back in the day, what happens with a lot of investors is they literally will buy, you know, they'll get in around, they'll say, we're going to write you a check for 10 million. Yeah, we'll give you a hundred million valuation. They know it's high, but they don't care because they just have a high probability that that company in 18 months is going to raise another 30 million at, you know, 300 million revenue or valuation. And then they're going to be able to mark up that paper by three X so that they can show you know, a return, an internal rate of return um, that's a lot higher. It's a bit inflated, right? And, th- and that's actually like amongst the VCs, you'd be surprised. As an entrepreneur, most people don't know this, but it's it's a thing. It's a game. Yeah. It's a, I'm going to, you need to do this deal for me. I'll do this one for you. You know, we know it's a little priced high, et cetera. I mean, what's happening now is just internal rounds are being done because people are worried that they're going to get caught with the, the bag, right? And, right. you know, at the end of the day, Funds have LPs, which is their customers, and they're deciding if they're going to give another, you know, in their next fund, they're going to write a big check based on the past fund. So there's actually ways to game. I mean, one of the ones that I saw recently is where they, because they they measure uh, fund quality based on cash deployed versus cash return, what they'll do is they'll they'll borrow a line of credit at a low interest rate to reduce the amount of cash deployed to increase the amount of cash return, <laughs> but not disclose that there's a loan that they use to make the investment. I mean, it sounds crazy, but this right. is the kind of stuff that goes on. Instead of writing a check for 10 million, they wrote a check for a million, borrowed a loan for nine, secured against the equity, so that, that over a time period, they can show a higher rate of return per time period for their LPs, but it's essentially manufactured relative to what they've extended. percent. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, that's a rabbit hole. I can't really fall too far down. Cause I'm just curious that, I mean, I know for, for, for us, like one of the things that it's been, cause we were bootstrapped up till, you know, d- high eight, eight digits in terms of our revenue. It was, we have to kind of be profitable. We have to kind of be in a position yeah, to grow. Pay our bills. Yeah, we had to pay, keep the lights on. Um, now I want to get back to creativity. I want to get back to technology and productivity. Um, this is a topic, obviously, that you're talking a lot about. You know, um, you have a new book, Buy Back Your Time. Buy Back Your Time. Let's talk about that title. What does that title mean to you? Buy Back Your Time. Yeah, I mean, the truth is you can't actually buy back your time. So the title is kind of a funny concept because time is not something you can buy, but technically you can buy back the tasks you do within time. So then you would have more time to do other stuff. Um, The core premise of the book is this thing called the buyback principle, which states we don't hire people to grow our businesses. We hire people to buy back our time because if you do the first, you don't get the second. But if you do the second, you actually get the first, Mm -hmm. right? So most entrepreneurs fail in business because they end up creating companies that they grow to hate. Mm -hmm. So I want to teach people how to avoid that. So I teach this very simple framework called the buyback loop, where I argue that when you hit the pain line of growth and entrepreneurs can hit that at different levels, they're called the, you know, factors of ones and three. So at hundred thousand, 300,000, 1 million, 3 million, I mean, it's pretty well known in the business world. There's different like break points. When you hit that pain line, 
for me, my, my prescription is you do three things. You audit your calendar for time and energy. You transfer all the stuff that's low cost to pay somebody else to do that sucks your energy to somebody else. And then you fill it with things that either make you more money, light you up, or allows you to increase your capacity to give. Right. And that's, that's the core idea of the book. That's why I wrote it. Love it. And, you know, I think time management is something I've always been a nut about. I think I've been doing time blocking calendars since, you know, it was like 11 years old before it was even a thing. Um, but I do find that it's also one of the easiest things to waste. And what do you see? Like, what is one of the culprits when you're working with entrepreneurs that they, 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 they're, they're, they're filled with things. Some things are great. Some things are not so great, but what's the driver of that? you know, what's the pattern that you've seen for, for the overly always busy calendar and the things that, that is it ego? Is it, we can do everything. Is it uh, FOMO and you don't want to be involved? Some combination of all of that? I think it's it's always based on fears, obviously, because that's mm. kind of what drives humans. Um, the big the, the biggest culprits, I think, if people are being honest with themselves, is one, um, they don't have a lot of self-worth. They mm. don't think their time's that valuable, right? Mm-hmm. Like, And it's just, you just look at the calendar. I mean, when you ask somebody, it's like, why are you running those errands? It's like, well, it's just easier for me to do it than somebody else. It's like, yeah, but you could pay somebody a fraction of what you generate per hour. Like when people understand what I call the buyback rate, anything you do that is less than you could pay somebody else against your personal buyback rate is literally working against your dreams. Right. So I think self-worth is a big one, right? They don't feel self-worthy. They don't trust themselves, mm. right? Like if, even if I, you know, it's like Russ, if I told you hiring an assistant, would get you three days back in your life and you didn't believe that, but it's not that you don't believe they wouldn't get you three days back. You just don't trust yourself. You would do anything productive with those three days. So you wouldn't want to trade the capital that's mm-hmm. guaranteed versus the potential for more. Right. Or you don't right? trust the other person to actually deliver. On yeah. That. Yeah. Trusting the other people. So a lot of, a lot of leaders aren't really great at, um, you know, the different skill sets required to scale their time. Right. And mm-hmm. that's usually why there's these different breakpoints in, in the ones and threes. Um, and then I would say, uh, you know, and that's why like half the book is not a half, a third of it is really about transformational leadership. Cause I think most people, well, here's what I'll say is a third area of why, uh, people overpack their calendar um, or don't give things up is, is, you know, the fear of embarrassment, Mm -hmm. right? Like what if somebody makes a mistake, Mm -hmm. you know? And I always say, well, that's okay. 80% done by somebody else, hundred percent freaking awesome. Like Mm -hmm. it's not going to always be perfect. And that's actually by design and totally cool. What I care more of is that I got that hour back to go trick or treating with my boys, or I got that hour back so I could, go to the gym. So I had more, you know, I felt better about myself. So I had more confidence in my next meeting so that I have more energy. Like a lot of people don't realize what they're giving up when they keep these things on their schedule. Um, and here's a general rule of thumb, Russ, like whatever you're doing this year as a CEO, if you want to double next year in your business, has to you be have to give away 50% of what you're doing. It has to be different. Yeah. It All has right. to be. You literally have to give up 50%. I have a test for you. I have a hypothetical for you. Yeah. You ready for this? This is going to be t- testing your theory here. Hypothetically, let's say you banked at a bank. It doesn't matter which, some national bank that got purchased by another bank two years ago. You didn't know this. And since that purchase, they were charging your account $10 a month. So $120 a year. It's been two years. You're now $240 into this. And you discover the only way to stop these fees is to spend two hours of your Monday afternoon on Monday, October 30th, 
to go in and close these accounts. Do you say, screw it, those two hours, I can make thousands. That's years and years of fees. Or do you go and close the bank account? In which you also get $12.09 back in an envelope when you close the bank account. Hypothetical situation may or may not have happened to me yesterday. Yeah, no, it happens to me all the time. And the answer is is I I, I let it go. Ten bucks like like doesn't yeah. even don't distract me. <laughs> no, I mean this is the thing. It's like this happens all day long, it just looks different, right? right? So the same math plays out all the time, right? It's like I could do this myself and it'll be done twenty percent better. So I'm just gonna like not pay the fee of having somebody else do it eighty percent as good as me. Like that's, that's why, like it, I always joke with people, like I spend millions of dollars a year to buy back my time to lay on my couch and scroll TikTok. Like I'm, at least I'm honest about it, right? <laughs> but I'm also incredibly effective. Yeah. Busy, no. Effective, ridiculous effective. When yeah. I work, I work because I only do the thing that only I can do that lights me up, that requires my attention and focus, that has million dollar opportunities assigned to this, right? So like even, even in big band software, which is my company where we buy companies, I'm only involved at the very, very, very end. I'm involved in some strategic conversation around sourcing. And other than that, it's a system and a process. Are they going to get it perfect? No. Mm-hmm. Are we going to lo- lose deals out that we could have got that could have made us 15 million? Yep. Mm-hmm. But that's okay. Mm-hmm. Because while the team was running the machine and we're building the machine, I was doing other stuff that was more strategically aligned. So oftentimes, I mean, this is even things so we have a house manager, Betty, and she manages everything. She manages all our real estate, our vehicles, um, our, our like everything, the whole team in our house so that I only like she even packs my stuff for me. Like I'm traveling tomorrow and, you know, she knows and she's got my stuff ready to go. So I don't even pack. it. Is there a chance she's going to not put something? I might have to buy something. Yeah. Is it going to cost me 30 bucks? Yeah. Is it worth me even thinking about packing tonight yeah. instead of going trick or treating? No. Yeah. Because you're right? going to Scottsdale. You can figure out whatever. The, you can get into Amazon to you it's, the next There's day. no yeah. world where I can't solve that problem for a cost that is a fraction of what it is. And because I don't even take the energetic space in my mind to think about it or do it, and I'm so present with you right now, yeah. I care more that us, that we have a conversation that moves people listening to this than I care about a $20 or $100 pair of sunglasses so I might forget. <laughs> now, are you dressing up for Halloween? I know people will listen to this after Halloween, but do you have a costume? I do. What I is it? a costume that my wife picked out. What is it? I don't know. Oh, okay. you're so efficient. Like, you don't, you just put it I on. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I allow other people to make decisions for me. Cause that's again, great. That's yeah. great. All right. So let's get down to the practical. I want to talk about tools, things you're loving right now to help you achieve this. And let's skip the general basics, you know, Google calendar, digital calendar, uh, you know, even you can even skip like virtual assistant. I think that's too played out. What are some really innovative things that you're doing to be more productive? Cause I think it's all about your unique value to create. And when you're in that moment of productivity, you are doing the best as a creator for what that means to you. So what are some of the things that have just been game changers? Let's say over the last, I don't know, six months or so within the last year that you've brought on to your system that yeah, have made I an mean, impact. Wh- what you'd find fascinating about my life is that the more I'm buying back my time, the less tools I, I interact with. Right. So I don't have logins to all the CRMs, all my, like, I just don't because that's not where I'm best used. Right. So the tools that I use on a daily basis is definitely my laptop. And then I use my iPad. And what, what I do that's unique is I don't have meetings where I'm not sharing my iPad on the screen and I'm drawing. Right. So every morning when I wake up, I have a list of problems I need to work on. 
right? These are opportunities and I draw the solutions. Now does, that's me because I like to draw. How does that list get aggregated? Is that your notes or people? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this is essentially like, here's what I want to do in the next, you know, 25 years, 10 years, three years, one year, here are my quarterly big rock projects. Here's how those projects need to get executed. So like what I think people would find fascinating is, so the tooling that I use is, you know, and we use all the tools, but I use AI quite a bit. So I use ChatGPT or Barter, depending on the, the use case. And then I use my iPad to draw the diagram of the solution. And then I write quite a bit as the scaffolding for the process and or thoughts that I want to communicate, mm. right? And a lot of the stuff I do, I'm always trying to figure out how can I, for example, create content that's relevant to my YouTube audience, mm -hmm. right? Because I put out a lot of content that I can also repurpose as training for my internal team that I can also use as a piece of content for my coaching clients that I can also use for companies in my portfolio that I've purchased. Multi-use. Right? So, multi yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying to say like, like if I spend more time upfront thinking about the potential destinations of this information, then I can design it in a way that is, it can be acetized or, or, uh, atom, uh, yeah. Automatized or whatever that word is but multiplied, broke, <laughs> multiplied into those use cases. But most of my day is communicating with incredibly talented people mm -hmm. around ideas. Now, Again, I think if you watch the way I work, you would see things like I write about in the book called the 108010 rule, mm -hmm. which is 10% of a new project, a new creation. We design the ideation part together. I pull up my iPad, we talk about the options and da 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 da. I hand that to the person who's going to run with it. They run the 80%. They, you know, they take the idea, they produce a first draft, they, you know, they create stuff. And then the last 10% is where I come back in and I put my fingerprint back on it. I integrate it. I think about all the loose ends and just tighten them up. Cause that's, that's the, the art part of it. Right? right. But I mean, yeah, I don't do the rest of it. And I think that's, what's unique about the way I work, not necessarily the tools. Cause again, my video team's using AI in their editing, but I'm not editing, but I'm still involved in the creative outline at the front end. And I'm involved at the very end in regards to the final, what gets put out there. But if it's a thousand hours of work, I'm only involved in an hour total in that whole process. Right. Which by the way, is a pattern with every successful artist commercially. And I, I can talk about it I, in my book. Yeah. And Warhol I can all did it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, yeah. Tom Clancy. Takashi Murakami like, is one of my favorite yeah. and he, he has whole studios. I mean, the struggling artist who dies broke and makes money later on, never learn how to build the team. Never learn how to build the system. Never learn how to build the product of what they do. And I think we're all kind of creatives and artists. And yeah, I call it figuring out how to build the machine that builds a machine, right? Like right. how do we build the factory that generates the art? But the first question we ask ourselves is what's unique about the art? How do I break that into individual pieces? How do I then find collaborators that I enjoy working with to collaborate on ideation around new pieces? How can I empower them to go off and do some initial prototyping to then come back for us to do the final piece. I mean, this is what Steve Jobs did with Johnny Ives. Mm -hmm. He literally would go into the design studio and Johnny would show him a bunch of stuff and material science stuff and, and all these different crazy ideas. And Steve would give him different concepts. And then the team would go out and prototype and create, you know, 3d versions of it. And then he would come back and, you know, give him feedback. But I mean, 80% of that was done by the team in the design studio, not Steve. And then his last 10% was going on stage at, you know, the WDC or whatever, whatever events, and then just presenting 
like that was his 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 contribution to right. it, which was arguably one of the most important things, which is the positioning and the story behind it. Yeah, bringing it to us, bringing it yep. to the groups inside of it. Well, um, you know, we can go a lot of different directions. Obviously, you talked about it. Like, what are what are what are the things that you're still working to improve? Because obviously, you know, you can write a book about it. Sometimes you're still working on areas. What are some of the areas where you're thinking about this space that you you still feel like there's ways to go? Yeah, I'll be, I'll be, I'm an open book, right? Pun intended. Um, one of the areas I find fascinating is my wife's love language is acts of service. Mm-hmm. My default is don't do anything that doesn't light me up or can be, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's, 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 I literally, if I grabbed her, the, the, the conflict is there. She's like, I know you don't want to do this stuff. And it's fascinating because sometimes, you know, when she's talking to me, like my, you know, and I don't mean to like make it too robotic, but like my wife has a meeting with my assistant, with our house manager, with some other people every week to make sure it's synchronized and da da da. And then sometimes she's like, but I want to talk to you about it. So yeah. for example, she doesn't care about the vacation. She cares that we planned it together. Right. Does that make sense? Right. Even though me personally, I don't need to plan anything because I've already made those decisions a hundred times. I've already expressed my preferences. If I'm going to Scottsdale, you know, I rented a house. I wasn't involved in the decision. The house was rented. It was a beautiful house. Easy peasy. But so I've had to kind of figure out for certain people, how do I show up as me to collaborate with them the way they enjoy it? Even if I don't feel it's efficient, because I do care more about like having fun, right? Like I actually just built out one of the things I've been working on becoming better at is storytelling and creative visual, uh, you know, YouTube videos. So I, I just got 4,000 square feet. We're calling it the studio. It's kind of funny. We're talking about this because essentially it's like the factory with Andy Warhol and I'm hiring everybody in house, which I've only ever had distributed companies, right? but because I want to have the creative energy around me again, I'm still following my process. There's a whole team of people. I'm spending a lot of money on stuff I technically don't need, but I'm also not only optimizing for financial throughput. I'm optimizing for fun. Right. Which I think is an ultimate sign of success in any relationship, professional or personal. Is is the fun there? And you can't get it with your partner, with your kids, with your coworkers. You can't get that ultimate enjoyment unless there is some fun. Now, you might have a twisted sense of what fun is. (laughs) So there might be different interpretations of what that word is. But ultimately, that requires additional investment than just doing the work. It's it's about that experience, about what you give. And And seeing other people light up too, which I think is kind of the end game with you and your wife. It's not about planning. It's like not actually about that. It's like she wants to be connected in a way that is slightly different than your, you know, productivity, yeah, ar- productivity army. Efficient, getting the thing done. It's actually the emotional exchange of the conversation that matters to her. So for example, and I love doing this, honestly, every night when I lay in bed, I ask her about her day, yeah. right? And she gets to tell me, it's called a meadow report because back in the day, that's how women spent their days in the meadows and picking berries. And, you know, and men, many men don't understand this. And I like, I love it because I know a few things. One, I don't have to remember a thing she says. Okay. So that's comforting. Two, all I have to do is just be present and emotionally aware of how she's feeling as she expresses those different parts of her day and just ask her about them. And at the end of it, I know that I filled her cup. She feels totally connected to me. She feels like she can now have a great sleep. And I mean, for the you know, 13 minutes on average, it takes me to listen to a meta report. It is high ROI. Now, again, I'm not trying to systematize everything, 
But I'm just saying, like, is it in my calendar? Yes. Do I? You know what I mean? Like, because it, it's important. Do you to have me. a recording so device to remember it? Yes. I don't record, oh, not yet. No, not yet. No, not yet. <laughs> if, if, if there was a way that you could quantify that it would be a better conversation if I did record, I wouldn't be opposed to it, but she would probably get mad at me. <laughs> well, when you use that recording to create generative picture books that you deliver to her at the end of the year, then that's. Well, this is what I've been joking in my mind. Don't tell her I said this, but like, a generative video conversationalist to be present on a call. Like, I think there's a world in the future, Russ, where I think I'm being interviewed by you, but you're not there. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, and then, then you got to ask yourself, well, what if both people do that? Where does it go? <laughs> yeah, like, like where's this content? But I mean, that's not a crazy, if you look at the technology today, it could probably be built. It wouldn't be pixel perfect, but it could exist. And then we got to ask ourselves, like, what is the art? And that's, and honestly, that's why I love the people that are loving the book are not necessarily the, the nine figure CEOs that want to be more productive, although they read it. It's a lot of the, the creatives. That's why I was really excited to chat with you yeah. today. Cause I know your audience yeah. loves this stuff. It's the artists, it's the technologists, it's the people that are like, Hey, it's not just about reaching that destination. Like I actually like to walk. I don't need to get to that place. I just want to do it in a way that feels richer and funner. And that's why my whole premise of my book is like, just don't do things that suck your energy that you can pay somebody else to do so that you can be fully engaged, fully present for your whole day. And if you only want to work five hours, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But those five hours are really well thought through five hours. Love it. Love it. Well, Dan, this is I quite literally, we've, we, we're, we're a new season. We're in our first season. I've probably done over a dozen episodes so far. This is probably the most wide ranging conversation I have had. I gotta be honest. I think it's reflective of your experience. Um, where can people find you? Because you have a, you have a book, you have a, a brand, you have a YouTube, like give, give me one destination that you want. My to favorite to. place is Instagram. Okay. I publish there. I'm most active on the chat there. And if anybody wants to like follow me and just message me saying that they heard me on this podcast. Just say hello. I've got, I've got this uh, SOP I've created for um, hiring an executive assistant. That is, I think it's like 42 pages of like my internal thing sanitized. So I'll send that to Love people it. if they want Love it. Love it. But uh, just a little gift for everybody. Well, Dan, uh, congrats to you and to where you're headed. Uh, excited to have our chatbots interview each other in the next few years. And, uh, awesome. and, and to everyone, you definitely check out Dan's work. He's, he's an extraordinary communicator. Um, you mentioned the illustrations, the visuals, the things that's something that you obviously we're not showing and we don't have right now, but it's a way that I find very unique to what you do and problem solving. And that's really, really applicable. So whether you're a startup, whether you're an artist, you know, the book is buy back your time. You can go to his Instagram and bug him there. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. And, uh, we'll definitely catch you next time you're through here in Scottsdale. Cause I know you will be back. I love it. Thanks Ross. All right. To stay up to date on all our future episodes, access show notes, as well as see our past great interviews, head over to our site, designpickle.com slash create tech. That's slash C-R-E-A-T-E-C-H. We'll see you next time. Take care.